Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Hey everyone, um, I've got Kimiko Donahue on today. I'm really excited because she's the first single lady that I've talked to as shoots, um, but she's a professional shooter, entrepreneur, uh, motorcycle enthusiast, and former racer, maybe getting back into it. And she's a mom. How are you? Good. <laughs> Did I get all the titles? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so much fun. Um, oh, well, anyway. <laughs> I know it didn't last long. I, what people can't see is I'm secretly typing to Kenzie right now. Like, wait, not single anymore. Hold on. Let's, let's talk about, this. we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I'm so excited. So, um, yeah, let's start off with, I don't know anything about like you growing up. Cause we just met at 2019 nationals. Yes. Yeah. I think it was, was it USPSA nationals or IPSC. Yeah. I think you're shooting singles. One of those. Maybe. Then one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Where, where did you grow up? So I, well, I grew up in Tucson, so I was born in California in Fountain Valley and my parents moved my sister and I out here, gosh, when I was really young, probably six years old or so. So grew up in Oro Valley, actually to be exact in uh, Arizona, went to uh, elementary through high school here and just was, was involved in a bunch of different things growing up. My mom did a good job of making my sister and I try you know, different extracurricular activities, whether it was sports, heck, I even took a class on how to spin wool, like, you know, with like a spinning wheel, like, you know, stuff like that. Just, uh, my mom did a really good job of making us try new things. Yeah. Where would she even find that class? Like, I don't even know. She, she found the coolest stuff ever. I wish, I wish I would have done more cooking classes because it, I had to learn that in the real world. <laughs> Not fun. <Yeah. laughs> Southern great grandma and grandma that, yeah, whooped me in a shape in the kitchen. There you go. <laughs> That's a Southern thing. Um, okay. So Arizona is a little bit more gun friendly than California, I would think, but did you grow yes. up like the firearms or no? No, not at all. And what's funny is I didn't even learn that my parents own firearms until I got into firearms. So, oh yeah, we have shotguns and we've got bows. And I'm like, what? I never knew that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the cool part is, I mean, my, my parents taught me gun safety uh, since I was little. I mean, even, uh, you know, with squirt guns and, you know, BB guns and stuff like that was, we were always taught not to aim it at anyone's face for one, but even play guns, you know, don't, don't aim them at people, you know? So just, uh, teaching my sister and I safety around that from, uh, from an early age has been huge. As, absolutely. We're trying that with my nephew as well. I, we give him toys and if he's not old enough to not point it at people, then not there yet. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Okay, crazy. So, man, I, I feel like I'd be bummed to miss out on all the shooting stuff that they had, you know, growing up. Um, I, I was, yeah. <laughs> I would be so bummed. So, like, when did you first shoot your first gun? Like, how old were you? Uh, it wasn't until I was an adult, so probably 18, 19 years old, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't actually own my own, or my first gun until, gosh, maybe I was 23 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. I was later in life too. I feel like we missed out on those junior years and I look at all the yeah. so jealous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got I got to try archery a little bit when I was younger, probably junior high age or so, but yeah, I never never shot guns, never was never really into that. 
That's awesome. So did you teach yourself to shoot? Like, how do you learn that? You know? So yes, for starts. So I, I, I taught myself originally and, you know, went, went out to the range and just kind of watched people from there. And then later, you know, start, I met people that, that were good at it and learned from them. That's awesome. That's the best way to do it is, is go out to your local range, ask questions, or even watch matches. Like I learn a lot ROing sometimes, you know, it's, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. I mean, there's, there's pros and cons of that, you know, make sure you're watching the right stuff, but you know, it's like in any sport or even in business, you know, you find someone that's really good in their field and obviously they're doing something right for the most part. So kind of tag onto them or watch what they're doing and, and duplicate. Yeah. And I think it's uh, a mix of credentials and experience too. It's not just, oh, they're credentialized. That doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, exactly. Piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. So when did you, like, what was your first gun that you bought yourself? Uh, the Ruger LCP. It's a little 380. Thing sucks to shoot, but it is a great, great gun to uh, carry because it's small, you know, it fits in your hand. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh my goodness. Is it, and then when that was California or was that when you'd moved back? No, no, I've been in, in Arizona since I was six. Okay. I bought it here. That's right, you moved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So did you get your concealed carry permit then over in Arizona? So no. So I did something about Arizona is it's not uh, your your CCW is not required to carry concealed out here. Um, obviously there's there's good reasons to get it. So should I get it in the future? I will just so I know the laws around that. Heaven forbid I need to use it. Um, so I definitely recommend taking a class around that just so you, mostly so you know the laws more than anything. Yeah. And I think all the permits like Tennessee's, uh, open, or constitutional carry, but when you travel, then there's a the reciprocity that you have to have the permit for. So exactly. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that they're like, Oh, I can carry in my state. It was like, yeah, but when you cross that border, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's part of it too, is yeah. Just knowing the different laws and what you can and can't do, and, you know, set yeah. yourself up for success around that. Absolutely. And you fly with firearms because that's a hard, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the best part is when you're traveling for a three gun match. So you got this big case and, and uh, the one that I used to have looked, looked almost like a guitar case, you know, so I don't know if you've ever, oh, what movie is it? Desperado with Antonio Banderas. He's got, you know, yeah. a case of guns. I felt like that, you know, <laughs> like people would, oh, you know, what kind of instrument do you play? And I'm like, mm, <laughs> hang tight. I need to declare a firearm, please. <laughs> two types of people there's the ones that sticker their cases where you're like okay there's a firearm in there and yeah the, yeah the guitar case mm -hmm. <laughs> crazy um so uh heavier question and I always ask females this and and people why do you carry a gun why is it important to you um so you have an option you know I think uh would never want to be in a situation where you feel helpless and can't stand up for yourself and you know I've I've studied martial arts and, you know, I, I can only do so much. I'm, I'm five, one, you know, little lady. And it just gives you the, an option, heaven forbid you're in a terrible situation and need to get out of it and stand up for yourself. It just gives you another tool. Absolutely. Tool in your arsenal. That's exactly. exactly. Yep. Perfect. Perfectly said. Do you have like me uh, a drawer of, of holsters that you try to figure out before finding one that worked? Uh, you know, what's interesting is I never carried with the holster actually uh uh I don't practice with it you know as far as a, con a concealed carry holster um either I carry it in a purse you know concealed carry purse or uh you know if, if it's something that I feel very threatened or whatever you don't know, need to have it on my person just kind of tuck it in your belt loop you know <laughs> there you yeah. go. and anyone watching this it doesn't mean that's the right way to do it that's just was personal preference so 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then I was going to ask this next question, like the, the challenging part, uh, and maybe you, you can relate to this is like females, you only have so much real estate on your tiny body, but <laughs> you like to wear pants and yeah. like, like, and ones without bell loops and dresses. So what do you do then? You know? Um, well, then I'm carrying my purse. I think that's probably, that's the only reason I carry a purse. Otherwise I usually just like, I have uh, I don't know if you can see it on here, but I have like my credit cards on the back of my phone. Uh, I just, I like to travel light if possible, but you know, if, if I, if it's somewhere I feel like I need, you know, more, uh, I carry my purse. Yeah. So again, yeah. can, can I get creative carrying it on my purse? Absolutely. I just haven't quite figured out what works for me. Uh, I know there's a lot of options and I follow some of the girls on Instagram that, you know, show the different, the belly bands, they've got, you know, thigh holsters, all kinds of stuff. Um, before I use something like that, I'd want to practice with it. So since I don't practice with it, that's why I don't, I don't do it. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Uh, you would go to your baseline and uh, yeah. nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. So how, how long did it get um, comfortable though, for you to like feel I don't know, like when I first started carrying, I don't know about you, I was like very anxious and nervous and like thought people were staring at me or like new, like, did you feel that way? I did until I started uh, competition shooting, you know, just you get so comfortable with the firearm in competition that, you know, carrying it's like, you know, just another day, yeah. you know, and it's one of those things too. I actually had a conversation with one of the guys at the range who, you know, has a military background and has had to shoot people. And I asked him, you know, how how do I know if I'm going to be ready for that? And he said, Kimmy, what do you do when the buzzer goes off? You know, you know exactly how to handle the firearm under pressure. You know, you'll know what to do when the time's, you know, needed. So I well, thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. A lot of people want to negate um, the practical, like competition world and how it mm -hmm. plays into It really does. Yeah. You know, yeah, it helps you yeah, out with your response time. You know, you, you know exactly how to use it and how to aim it. And I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's going to come down to thinking quickly and on your feet, what's appropriate. But I think that's another reason why taking, you know, a, a CCW class or even a tactical course taught, taught by the right people, you know, is going to help you in those kinds of situations. Yeah, absolutely. That's really neat. So going back to, you didn't know that you had firearms in the house when you were growing up. Yeah. <laughs> Your daughter does, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, she does. Yeah. So she's grown up with it since, gosh, for forever. So yeah, I think I, I've been uh, I've owned a gun her whole life, um, and got into competition shooting since she can remember probably. So she knows the, the curiosity of firearms is gone, you know, around her. So she knows exactly, uh, what it does, that it's a tool that it could, it could be loaded. It could not be, you know, and she knows not to touch it without asking, um, even, even loose ammo. I mean, I know you can probably relate to this. You do your laundry and you realize, oh crap, I left stuff in my in my shorts, you know, and same thing. She knows not to pick that up and, you know, wave it around. She, she asked before touching it or, you know, asked how, how do you want me to handle that mom? So she's, because she's grown up with it, I think it's taken that curiosity away, which, which is huge. Yeah. How did you feel comfortable? Yeah. How did you do that? Like, how did, yeah. how did you teach her? Just uh, showing her, you know, uh, I think rather than, you know, kind of making it taboo, you know, like, Oh, this is a gun. You can't touch it. No, this is, check this out, you know, babe, this is, this is what it looks like when it's empty, you know, this is how you check it, this is, this is what it feels like to shoot it, you know, and actually taking her to the range and teaching her, you know, what, what recoil feels like, what does the sound, with hearing protection, of course, you know, what does it sound like, and what to expect, and, and showing her, you know, what it does to the target, and um, just helping her understand the uh, mechanics of it, you know, it takes away the scariness of it, and uh, 
and, and, and I call it a tool, you know, because rather than calling it a, a weapon, um, I know that that's really common for people to say, but you know, it's, it is, a, it's a tool and in competition, it's, it's not a weapon, you know, we're using it in a sport. So I think that kind of helps, uh, that, that taboo feeling about it. Yeah. You would, you would do well in my class. So in my carry classes in Florida and Tennessee, like legit, I would have a wall and I would write down the number of times people said the word weapon in my class. Yeah. Yeah. So even, even in competition, you know, you hear that a lot too, people. Yeah. Unless, I mean, what kind of weapon are you carrying? I'm not. My fist? <laughs> not here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you said, anything could be a weapon. And so it was just, it's so funny. Like, teaching people let's let's use rifle or pistol or shotgun or firearm or like you said a tool it, it just it really does help um and kids are curious that's that's probably the hardest thing yeah because they want yeah, to play so I think, trigger yeah just teaching her how it works and I mean even the components of uh of uh of ammo you know teaching her this is the projectile this is the powder and, and understanding that the you know powder itself you know catches on fire and is explosive and how you know what primers can do and, and her understanding that you know she she probably wonders well mom why are you wearing eye protection when you're loading well let me tell you why have you ever tried to load a large pistol primer into a small pistol or a small piece of brass it, it causes a big explosion <laughs> fyi so anyone that reloads and has done that knows exactly what i'm talking about it's not fun <laughs> I've learned the hard way too when I work on my AR lower is to wear a glass. <laughs> oh no, yeah. My eye, I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man. So um, if for, for parents listening and all of that, what were some like specific steps that you took? Like you said, going to the range, working at home. Did she re watch you reload and all that too? Oh yeah. Yeah, I would actually help her or she would help me either resize the brass or help me deprime things or um, I, I haven't gotten to the point where she actually helps load just because, you know, I like to keep an eye on how much powder is in there. Um, but, you, but she understands the, the mechanics of everything, including the guns too, like taking it apart and showing her the different parts and what they do. And, you know, uh, she learned with, with me, you know, so I didn't know a lot of that stuff either. Yeah. She's going to know a ton. She's gonna be like the cool kid on the block. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she, and you know, she knows too, like I, I, I tell her, you know, it's not really something you go and, and publicize at school, you know, so she's real careful about how she, you know, talks about that stuff and, um, you know, same thing, you know, inviting friends over. It's not, it's not something you go and show your, show your friends because they don't have the same training that you do, you know, so that's, that's part of the gun safety as well. Yeah. And that's across the board. That's not just with kids, you know? Yeah. My adult friends are coming over like, Hey, I need to know if you know how to use this or look at it. I'm okay yeah, exactly. play with it, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Exactly. Okay, so competitive shooting. How do we get into that? Oh man, this is my. I love telling this story because it's it's super goofy. Um, I saw it on TV. That's that's how I got into it. I I uh, before I used to race motorcycles and uh, 20, 2014, I think had a bad crash, hit my head, and decided I didn't want to do that anymore. So I was just flipping through channels. I think it was you know Modern Sportsman or something, and I saw. Um, three gun nation and the big gun. So I saw women competing in three gun, you know, so I saw girls like Becky Yackley, Lena Michalek, um, Jessica Hook, you know, I saw all these girls running around with shotguns and rifles. I'm like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so literally, I think like a week later, um, sold my motorcycle. That's what paid for the shotgun. And, uh, you know, just started 
you know, put together a Franken rifle, um, bought a, a Glock 34 as my first competition pistol and uh, started going at it. <laughs> awesome. I think I've had 90% of people say their first pistol was a Glock, including me. Like, yeah. Well, because it was easy. Uh, one, it was affordable. And, you know, I, I heard that they were the easiest to take apart and clean, which, which I will still attest to. Uh, yeah, they're very easy to take care of. Uh, you know, taking apart a 1911 is, is a lot more of a task to do. <laughs> yeah, I have a tool guide run on my 2011 and still I like to like send that spring. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> not, not, not so easy. Um, yeah. Was your first competition though, three gun? It was. Yep. It, it was, it was a lot. I, somewhere I'll have to find it so I can post it. I have a video of my very first uh, stage, three gun stage. And it's hilarious because I actually start off really well. It was a, a started off with rifle and it was uh, shooting these little clay pigeons. And I, I got super lucky because I just overheard one of the guys saying, oh, when you're shooting close up, you have a little bit of a holdover. Mm-hmm. You're sight over bore, you know what? I didn't know what that meant at the time. So I just heard someone say, aim six inches higher or something. And I'm like, all right. So buzzer goes off, bang, bang, bang. And you could hear everyone just go, what the hell? Because they knew I was brand new to this. You know, and so I'm, I'm just crushing the rifle. And then once I get to the shotgun, it was probably like, oh, she does not know what she is doing. I mean, mind you, I was safe. You know, I, I knew what I was doing there, but I didn't know how to load shot, shot shells, you know, as fast as those guys do. And I didn't understand that, you know, if you're shooting a moving clay pigeon, like you'd follow it, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So it was definitely a, a dumpster fire of a stage, but uh that's what got me into it. I, I thought it was super cool and, and kept going. And, and that's what I shot mostly uh, was three gun. And then finding that I sucked at pistol. I loved shotgun, I lo- rifle I loved, but pistol I was very terrible at. So that's why eventually I got into um, just pistol shooting to get better at it. Okay, this is, this is crazy to me. Like, okay, most people shoot three gun, like for their first match, probably never want to come back for a while. <laughs> Like, I'm a glutton for punishment, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Did you sign up by yourself or did you have a friend go with you? Uh, I brought uh, uh, my friend Katie. At the time, she worked for um, Voltor and uh, she went out with me. Uh, and she, I think it was her first three gun match as well. So we went up to uh, Phoenix to uh, Rio Salado and shot out there. And then after that, it was, you know, I, I felt comfortable going by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say that's daunting by yourself but having it is it. yeah and then well so my first uh three gun match that I ever had to travel for was babes of bullets at the Michelet ranch and yeah. that was super cool yeah luckily so I knew um Deb Fern she helped put that on as well so she kind of helped guide me through it but I remember that match and I'm gonna be a stereotypical woman right now I cried at that match because I was so overwhelmed and frustrated because I'm one of those people that you know I want to good at everything that I do and you know you can't expect to be good at your first big major match but you know it was just it was a lot to take in and and learn you know how to how to keep yourself cool mentally and um I think I think what oh the one that frustrated me there was a stage that you had to candy cane load your um shotgun so you know you had to know what to shoot slugs and then bird shot and you know do yeah it was a lot and there there were tears there were tears (laughs) Oh, I've been there. Becky actually yeah. got me through that. We shot nationals together two years ago and the shotgun wasn't working. And I was on, I love shotguns. My favorite gun. Like I want to shoot world shotgun shoot for real. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah, me too. 
<laughs> and so I had a 43 round shotgun stage. I'm like, yes, this is gonna be awesome. Brand new Benelium two, three rounds into it. I can't get the jam to clear. Like it is oh, no. yeah, stuck. And I'm like, you know, doing the pogo stick, trying mm-hmm. to use the knife to get it out. And I'm just, yeah, I'm screwed. So I had, what is that? 39 FTEs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> So I like let them clear the shotgun. Then I went across the way and stood like myself behind barrels and just like cried for a minute. It's good. Yep. Yep. I can, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. And that's a lot of gear to fly with. Um, actually you want to talk on that, like for people that haven't flown before, maybe some expectations and key. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, first things first, you know, when you go up to, um, to check in and declare your firearm, you do it just like that, just a simple, just very almost nonchalant. So you don't seem nervous or anxious because that's going to make them feel weird. Um, because there, there have been uh, people, not in Arizona, because Arizona is pretty good about it. And flying Southwest, they are, they've never given me hassle ever. But you know, in some of the other states, and you go to declare a firearm, as soon as you say the word gun or firearm, they're, oh, you know, you have a gun? No, it's, it's going to be checked in. Uh, but I think the, the biggest piece of advice for that is, um, being very polite to them, um, you know, being patient because a lot of the times those people checking you in have never checked someone in with a firearm. I've, I've found that out. A lot of them are very new to that. So they ask, have to ask for help. They're not sure what you need to sign, you know, so having everything ready, your form of ID, your flight number, um, being ready to fill out the piece of paper that they give you and kind of helping them through that too um, is good to know. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the biggest piece of advice is just be super polite and patient with them because a lot of them don't know either. So <laughs> what about, uh, the case and locks and all that jazz? Oh yes. Uh, make sure it is a TSA lock, uh, cause they're, they're going to get in there, um, anyway, you know, so they want to be able to use their little master key and get in there. Um, and it, yeah, you do have to lock your case. It has to be a hard case. Uh, I think it has to have, well, I put two locks on mine, on my gun case. Yeah. I would say fill every hole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you know, and, and, or bring extra in case you're not sure, but um, definitely do your research on that because some of the different uh, airlines are different rules too. Some of them open it up right there in front of everybody in line to (laughs) see. And some of them, you know, take you to the back and escort you like you're some crazy person. Yeah. Um, some of them just send it along your way and say, we'll call you if we need you. Otherwise, if we don't talk to you in 10 minutes, just go ahead. And you're like, what? But so, so it's all different, you know, just having them walk you through what their procedure is. Oh, yeah. I remember when like Christian Saylor got like the pat down and in the private room. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Everyone's, it, it's all different. It's yeah. Everywhere I've gone has been different. I remember there was a... <laughs> One time, I, I didn't compete in the world shoot, but uh, went along as a guest to uh, the world shoot in France. And what was interesting is in France and in Arizona, they, they didn't give us any hassle whatsoever about the firearms, but we had a layover, get, get ready for it, in California. So we went through customs. Customs thought the guns were super cool. Like, oh yeah, you know what were you doing? And asked about the guns. And as soon as you pass customs into California, they put us in the same room, like where the dogs are, like where all the kennels are and asked us to wait there. And wouldn't let us move like anywhere throughout the airport until we had an escort. <laughs> it was hilarious. But yeah. So we were sitting there with the dogs. <laughs> one girl, she dangerous. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on where you're at. Yeah. And then there's different airlines that will charge you different fees or all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Look that up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Three gun was one of them. And then Mm -hmm. USPSA, I know you've shot. What other shooting disciplines have you gotten into? So I actually went from three gun to IDPA. I didn't even know USPSC was, was a thing till later. Um, so I got into, <laughs> and you'd think it'd be the opposite. You think I would have done like three gun to USPSA to IDPA? No, I went straight from two on paper to you need to have two perfect zeros in this circle. And I, you know, I, I'm not a rule follower. Uh, so I started shooting IDPA and shot in like three gun targets. It was consistently like, last place I'm like what the hell am I doing wrong like you know I'm I should be good at this and then realize oh you're not following the rules Kimmy like this is much more of a you know, I, I don't like to use the word slow but you just you focus on being accurate and the, the speed will come but you know going from three gun where it's just two on paper to neutralize to you need to have perfect zeros to win in this game was was a huge uh wake-up call <laughs> you know but that shortens your learning curve for the pistol that you wanted, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. And and plus there's so many more rules. I mean, yeah, we can get in a huge debate about this, but in IDPA, there's just, it's a lot different than USPSA or IPSC or three gun, um, you know, because you also have to wear concealment. So you've got this vest on you, the belt rig's different. Um, you can't drop a loaded magazine on the ground. You, you know, it, it's, there's a lot more to it. So knowing knowing the rules helps to play the game a lot better. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still guilty of it. I was gonna say, I learned about the inner belt recently. Mm-hmm. So there's no inner belt. I was like, oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even to this day, I, I, I shouldn't be saying this out loud because I'm reinforcing it, but I, I get, I'll get a procedural now and again. And I go, oh yeah, that's right. I can't do that. In IDP. <laughs> you know? It happened this weekend at, at uh, the New Mexico Scorcher. I shot an IDPA match this weekend and, and was, you know, flying through it, what I felt was a pretty good performance. Um, didn't listen to a stage description and I shot a limited stage unlimited. So like in USPSA, it would be like a standard stage, you know, where you, it's, uh, you can only shoot two shots on paper. If you make a makeup, that's a penalty. Yeah. So I took three makeup shots on a limited stage and in IDPA, a an extra shot or a penalty is three seconds so I had nine seconds added to my time for something that could have been avoided so lesson learned that won't happen again it's good and bad switching disciplines you know mm-hmm. um because I, I do that same thing I'll shoot PCC and then I'll shoot pistol and then I'll go shoot three gun and two gun and it's like oh I mean it's great to know all the rules and I for the most part do but yeah you're like wait it's that kind of scoring oh it's that yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just just for different focus. I mean, it's all shooting, you know, shooting is shooting. But uh, yeah, once again, yeah, let's listen to the stage description, read up on the rules, know where you're at. You'll have a better time. <laughs> well, I want to get into to all of that and the differences too. Um, but let's start out with, I guess we'll go into IDPA. Um, so I don't know anything about IDPA really. Can you give like an overview to newbies on what it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's a, uh, they call it defensive pistol. You know what? You're, you're going to get an argument on some people say, it, oh, it's like the real world shooting. You know, the, the situations, I wouldn't say necessarily the real world. Some of the uh, stage descriptions are, are hilarious. You know, you're getting, you're getting uh, attacked by a gang of thugs, you know, and, uh, uh, but the, probably the difference between IDPA and like USPSA is the scoring system. 
uh, is different. They're, they're different targets. You know, USPSA, you've got like a rectangular A zone. Um, IDPA, it's, it's a circle, which they call the zero. So uh, USPSA, you're trying to shoot as many points as possible in, a, in, the, in time. And IDPA, you're trying to shoot the least amount of points possible in the fastest time. So you're shooting for that zero zone. Anytime you drop points, that's however many points you've dropped is an extra number of seconds added to your time. So if you drop three points, that's three seconds added to your overall time. So uh, you want to shoot zeros in that game for sure. Yeah. And 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 the difference too is uh, you can only have, well, depending what division. So I shoot ESP division. Uh, so you can only have 10 rounds in uh, your magazine at a time, um, depending on if it's an if it's a loaded start, you can have a Barney mag, so you can have 11 rounds starting, uh, you know, 10 in the uh, magazine, one in the chamber. So really similar to single stack. So, you know, shooting single stack, that was what I was used to no matter what. So as far as planning stages, it wasn't a, a big deal. Um, with that too, IDPA stages, there's less stage planning, less room for creativity because they're, they're pretty straightforward on how they want you to shoot it. Um, and they're set up that way so that everyone kind of follows the same plan. And, uh, oh, and there's a uh, tactical priority is, is different than USPSA. So USPSA, you can come up to an array of targets and just shoot it you know, however you want, unless the stage description says otherwise. Um, IDPA, you hear a lot of people say slice the pie. So if there's a, a fault line, which is new, uh, when I first started shooting IDPA, it was, uh, you had to be behind a point of cover, which was very subjective because let's say there's a wall, right? Uh, and you're a tall person, you're probably going to be out of the cover area more than someone like me because I'm just because of my height. Um, but now they've created fault lines similar to USPSA. So you stay within the fault line. And let's say you're coming up to a window and you're on this side of the fault line, you want to slice the pie, meaning you're, you're shooting from the outside in. Okay. Uh, if it's open, you're shooting close to far. Um, and then there's things like surprise targets. There's, there's a lot more rules in IDPA. I love this knowledge though, because like I need to go out and shoot. There was one this weekend. I took the weekend off finally for Labor Day. But... Probably the best piece of advice, I and mean, even for USPSA, is go take an RO or an SO class and just that's where you're going to learn all the rules, you know. Uh, and it, it's very helpful to know that stuff because it does, it gives you a leg up and, and uh, you know, there might be a couple secrets in there that someone else might not know. So. Like an it. advantage, yeah. <laughs> not like slicing the pie. That's something the RO would identify then. Like they would be like, oh, that's a penalty because you didn't do that right, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And they will give you a penalty if you yeah. don't shoot it the right order. <laughs> <laughs> and near to far. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like almost level playing field when it comes to like stage design is or stage, yeah, stage design mm -hmm. will be the same for everybody. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because most everybody's shooting it the same way. The only time you might, see someone shoot a different way is if there's steel involved or a mover, you know, someone might take a static target in between the mover target, things like that. You can do that. Um, that's kind of the, the place where you'll find the advantages. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. Um, okay. And then for the, the rule sets, I know ESP, there was like backup gun for another one, all of this, do you know, yeah. ish, like what people should use? Like they can't go using 2011s, right? No, no, that if, if you do that, it's going to be in ESP. So ESP is what I shoot. It's enhanced service pistol. So you could have a magwell on it. Basically, uh, it needs to fit in the IDPA box, which I believe is different measurements than USPSA. Okay. Um, I've always shot ESP just because that was the, the type of gun that always happened to fit in, <laughs> in that division. 
Yeah, I started with a Glock 34 with a magwell, uh, single stack with a magwell, and now I shoot a polymer 80 full size gun with a magwell. So that <laughs> just automatically bumps me up to ESP. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we have um, CCP, CDP, SSP. And those are the smaller guns, smaller capacity, right? Yes, yeah. So CDP, I believe you can only have eight in oh, your wow. bag. So a lot of people, you know, they'll shoot like single stack, you know, major rounds in that. Yeah. Do you feel like that does help you, like if you were going to concealed carry, or is that still? I think no. I think it's it's whatever fits you, you know. And if you if if you're aiming to conceal it, it's just depending on you know what you're wearing and where you carry it and. If you're a smaller person, maybe you have a smaller gun or you hide it in a purse, you know? Yeah. So what is the bare minimum for like guns and gear uh, that people need to go out and shoot that competition? Um, very similar to USPSA. Um, you need uh, your firearm, a holster for said firearm, uh, at least two mag pouches. Some people do three, but you can only have two on you at a time. Um, they use the third one for their Barney mag. Uh, a belt that goes through your belt loops and some kind of concealment garment. So it can be a vest. People use, they call them the fishing vests. Uh, 511 has a really nice vest that doesn't look like a fishing vest. And that's the one I use. Some people use like Hawaiian shirts. Some people conceal it on, you know, on their person and then just lift their shirt up and draw that way. Um, as long as it covers your holster and the gun completely while, with your hands up, then it's legal. Okay. So Technically three mags, but two mag pouches with magazines, but one would be in the gun. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, Oof. yeah at least three mags, one gun, holsters, belts, concealment garment, and of course, eyes, ears, and sunscreen. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm the <laughs> mom on the range, like sunscreen guys. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially in Arizona. I mean, we are sunlight year round all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Cover up. <laughs> Um, so last question on that then, it sounds like there's not really going to be like the long courses that USPSA have because ammo is limited to what you have on, right? Yes. Yeah. I believe the max for IDPA is 18 rounds okay. for a stage. I could be wrong. So nobody quote me on that, but I, I think that's what it is. They're going to come to you after Kimmy, you said this wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I might've, sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean like, yeah, the, the capacity would totally be a limiting factor, but that's nice though, especially mm -hmm. when. I guess we're going through the COVID times right now. Go shoot IDPA. Yes. Oh, yeah. Some of our local matches, you just need like 80 to 100 rounds and gotcha. show up. It's amazing. Yeah. It is awesome. <laughs> okay. So let's dive in like to USPSA. So we went from IDPA. Mm -hmm. How did we find USPSA? Uh, at my local range, I, you know, looked at all the different matches that they have. And I'm like, what's this USPSA? And someone said, oh, you, you shoot three gun. You'd be good at this because you're running running and gunning. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately I went into that with the same mentality that I did with IDPA of three guns. Oh, just shoot at this target, you know, and hope that it lands on it and didn't quite understand that till later. <laughs> so I'm, I'm throwing, you know, alpha Delta, alpha Charlie everywhere. And like not understanding why I'm not doing well. I'm thinking, well, I'm going fast, you know, it's not the point. No, still need to be accurate. <laughs> took me some get used to there and oh and I started shooting limited minor so anyone that shoots USPSA knows that's unless you're shooting perfect alphas really fast all the time um it's hard to be competitive not impossible I have seen it but well, I've, I've seen it it's not yeah. me 
So I yeah. shoot minor and I actually just got a limited major gun to borrow for nationals. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I really just want to shoot major power factor scoring and I have 40 ammo. Oh. Yeah. Makes a difference. Just, yeah. If you're not used to shooting major, it's definitely a wake up call. I remember I shot a uh, Western States single stack with a major gun once never shooting major <laughs> quite yeah quite the yeah I shot a single stack in a crossfire match and that was the major I was like ooh, it's kind of fun yeah yeah it just takes some getting used to definitely especially on the reloads but okay I, yeah. I, I, oh yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> that is the hardest thing oh yep. so is that your favorite division though to shoot a single stack it yes and no so I uh, recently got picked up by Polymer 80. So I started shooting plastic guns again. Um, one of the cool parts about the P80s is the uh, grip angle. And that's actually what sold me on it was, uh, you know, I was, re- I was approached by them and you know, do you want to shoot a plastic gun? And, you know, I love single stack and I always will. I think uh, it, it's just super fun. It's a nice, you know, heavy metal gun, with less recoil. But I shot a P80 and went, oh my goodness, this is not, this is not like shooting a Glock um, because you, you know, uh, I don't know if you can see it on Zoom, but when you're shooting a single stack, like your shoulders can be pretty relaxed because of the way the grip angle is, you know, and you just bring it straight up to your eyes. The Glock, I always felt like you had to like really pinch it. If you look at like the difference between a Glock shooter and like a single stack shooter, their body positioning is very different. You know, I feel like when I was shooting a Glock, or, or watching someone shoot one like that, you just, they just look super stressed out, you know, because you're, you're pressing into this damn thing. And uh, with the P80, it allows you to have somewhat of a similar angle to the single stack, um, which was super attractive to me. And it took some getting used to because now you don't have that thumb safety, you know. So there was definitely times where I'd pick the gun up and or draw it, and be, you'd see my thumb wiggling around in the in nowhere looking for nothing. But um. I enjoy it. And I think that was the biggest selling point for me. was just the, the grip angle was so much different. Yeah. yeah. I'm the opposite. So I still have safety myself in the 2011 and I'm like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like looked at the gun on video and you'll be like, why is this not working? And it takes you like 10 seconds. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goofy because, you know, you practice with it at home and you dry fire with it and it's still, it, you, yeah. Beep. You revert to your yeah muscle memory. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So what all divisions though? Have you shot single stack and then you've got limited, uh, let's see, limited, limited 10 production, single stack. Uh, that's it. I haven't, I haven't played around with red dot or open or anything yet. Okay, cool. Would love to just, yeah. Haven't, haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm dabbling in PCC now. It's kind of fun. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's the three in coming out of me. Cause I want to go fast. Yeah. 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 So, um, I guess for, I do want to talk about single stack too, and then we'll go into polymer 80 because I really want to talk about that gun, but, um, most people don't really try their hand at single stack. We've already mentioned the reloads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest learning curve and all of the things that go into shooting single stack? Um, well, especially someone coming from three gun or shooting limited is, is just learning to plan your stages according to having only 10 rounds in your mag, you know, and just getting a little more creative about where to plan your reloads really practicing your reloads because that makes a huge difference um yeah drawing the gun like your your grip every everything's different you know it's a completely different platform so your grip's different um your oh let's see here i mean even your, your sights are different um i i shoot with a really skinny front sight on the single stack so getting used to that is is different um 
it weighs different. Yeah, so just just a lot of things. Just get just getting used to it, really. I mean, it's, you know, shooting a gun is a gun. Um, yeah. So oh. practicing with dry fire and and getting some reps in. God, I remember your quote on on that last podcast is nobody likes dry fire. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just like yeah. <laughs> like dry fire. Well, that's anything what- that you need to be disciplined on, you know, you don't like it, but you got to do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and so you, you never shot major power factor though in single stack, right? Uh, only once. Okay. That's Be- right. And the only reason I chose to shoot major that day was I had hurt, I'd hurt my quad. I think I pulled a muscle or something. So my movement wasn't super great. So I figured I'd make up for that with more points. <laughs> I, sh- I should have just stuck to, yeah, stuck to my guns, literally. <laughs> so, so Verbal dumb. mom joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. And then to wrap that up, what's like the best advice uh, you have for someone who wanted to try out that division? Um, practice your reloads. I think uh, just because you're doing so many more of them, you know, than, than someone shooting open or limited. Um, and then also, you know, when you walk the stage, having, having your plan figured out and just uh, reinforcing that in your brain um, so you can execute your plan perfectly. Um, other than that, I, I think it's just, yeah, just getting the reps in more than anything. Awesome. And then accuracy-ish, I feel like, because eight or 10 rounds goes back to production. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially with yeah. eight rounds. Oh, my I God. Guess in my head, I figured that's a given, but no, you're right, because that sometimes we forget that. Like, yeah. no, make, you got to make your shots count, you <laughs> know, especially if it's an unloaded start and it's a 10-round position. Like, you have to shoot one for one. Otherwise, you're doing a standing reload. Yep. Oh man, going to slide lock is never fun. <laughs> no. So, oh, okay. So that's what's interesting too is uh, anyone that shot a Glock or or a production gun, sometimes you get real lucky, and if you load hard enough, it the slide goes forward. Single stacks don't do that. You have to sh- you have to use the slide to release to get your slide to go forward. <laughs> yeah, can't be lazy there. That's huge though. Um, yeah. I think for, for new shooters, I think across the board, so many people do not use the slide release. They play mm-hmm. with the back of the gun. They play with the slide. It's like, dude, just mm-hmm. get on your grip and use your yep. thumb. Yep. Yeah. Load it. And, yeah. That's huge. <laughs> like that'll take a lot of time off guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and that stuff you can practice at home too. In the, yeah. Without ammo. Yes. Or fake bullets. Use. Yeah. yeah. Snap caps. Yeah. Um, Okay, Palmer 80 gun, um, like, did you buy it first? Like, how'd you learn about it? Like, tell me about that gun because I keep seeing your post about it. So, yeah, so when I first got into um, pistol shooting, I shot with a couple of guys on a team and um, one of them, uh, his name is Brian Buller and Brian's also sponsored by PA80. And he called me and said, Kimmy, you gotta try this gun you know, I'm, I'm great with single stack. I don't want to go back to a Glock. And he said, it's not a Glock. You got to try it. Um, I said, all right, fine. So they, they sent me three to try and, uh, I got to go and shoot them. And I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't shoot like a Glock, you know, and, and, uh, just kind of fell in love with it. And, and honestly too, I, it's the people, like they're a very supportive company everyone involved is just super great and helpful. Um, I get to be on it, Brian again. And, uh, I think that's, that's what got me into it was just, you know, a referral basis. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. And for those guns, uh, like what's the capacity and what's the price point on those? 
uh, you know, I should know this, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's the one that I shoot. It's there is nine millimeter, um, and it, this one does have a uh, custom Glock 34 slide on top, and uh, it it's it's really similar as far as capacity goes, and price point. I would say go to their website because for all I know, it's changed. <laughs> Sorry guys, I should know this off the top of my head. I'm trying to market for you, but I'm just Yeah, <laughs> but they're great guns. <laughs> so, um, okay, what did you customize to you? You said you put the Glock 34 slide on it. What else did you change? Um, I had the trigger uh, worked on a little bit. Not not anything super crazy, but uh, Justin Burke here in uh, Tucson, Arizona, he has down zero trigger systems. Um, he helped me out with that. and. Uh, I would have to get more information on him on what exactly he did. So that's something that I've learned in business is you, you do what you're good at and you delegate or surround yourself with people and leverage their skills. And I got, I, I am super blessed to just be surrounded by some just really good people that are good at what they do. Since triggers are amazing. Um, so he helped me out with that. Uh, Brian and all the P80 guys are super helpful. You know, if, if I needed to replace a part or if I want, something different like uh let's say I wanted an extended mag release or something you know um they'll point me in the right direction awesome I miss having a good gunsmith near me I have to ship everything <laughs> yeah we've, we've got a few out here so I'm, I'm super lucky and Phoenix is full of really great ones too and you know there's and there's different kinds you know there's some guys and girls that uh specialize in single stacks or they're Glock people you know it just you got to find who's good at what yeah, going back to the credentials with experience. Yes, yeah. And testimonials too. <laughs> you know, it's okay to ask for people's uh, uh, references, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so when you first started to tell these people that are probably discouraged by or daunted by starting USPSA, what classification did you start out in? Oh, I started D-class for sure. Well, actually unclassified. I started shooting just whatever. I was, I was a U. <laughs> wasn't even classified for the longest time same thing with idpa and i went to go shoot a state match and they're like Kimmy, you have to get classified what, what does that mean you know so yeah i started from the bottom absolutely of d class uh limiter uspsa and then i started an idpa esp marksman okay <laughs> and then did you level up and where'd you go i did yes <laughs> um well don't kill me USPSA, but I think my membership expired, but that was last um, B class, almost A class. Awesome. So I'll have to go reclassify and, and uh, see where, where that all shakes out. And then uh, in e, uh, excuse me, in IDPA, I am master class in uh, ESP. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And so, so many people are like, oh, I just want to be where you're at. Well, you haven't put in the time, the ammo, the practice, you know, you know what I mean? Like you're starting out. You yeah, it took some time. You know, some people just go out and shoot a classifier and do really well, and they classify as that. Um, in IDPA, I received a classification via a match bump. So it means I had to, you know, do well, basically, in a, in a match to get bumped up a level. So yeah. that's the way I did it in IDPA. And then uh, USPSA, I, I became a B class, I think, um, from class classifiers. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. Now, the hard part, the dry fire. What did that routine look like every day? Oh, well, it wasn't every day, <laughs> if you want the honest answer. Yep. Um, you know, it 
it, it depends on where I'm at in the year too. And like what my goals are around that, you know, there's, there's, it's something that I've, you know, had some push pull around that of, you know, do I have to shoot more nationals this year or do I want to just kind of focus on business and screw around and, you know, shoot every now and again. So that is what kind of feeds my, or doesn't feed my dry fire routine. Um, if I am getting ready for a big match and I want to do well, that means picking up the gun every day, even if it is for 10 minutes, but just being super intentional about it, you know, um, and not just, uh, I saw a meme out there that said, you know, dry fire from their couch, but like a light switch. And I'm like, that's been me. I have done that. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to admit it, but, but even literally just picking up the gun makes a huge difference because you know, as long as you're intentional about it and, you know, you have the perfect grip and, and, you know, that's, that's what you're going to resort to under pressure is your muscle memory, you know? Um, so as far as dry fire routine, it just depends. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm working towards a big match, then I am picking up the gun. I put on my belt rig. I put on my vest if it's IDPA. Um, I've even put chalk on my hands to, you know, really get that, that good feel of, you know, when you're drawing the gun and set up uh, dry fire targets too. And at different distances, um, you know, put, put some little steel uh, dry fire targets as well and make arrays and, and add movement to your practice. Yeah, absolutely. You crushed it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and practice the stuff you hate because that's the stuff that you need to work on. <laughs> In live fire too, we can shooting. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. exactly. You can't, you can shoot the funsies on, you know, every now and then, but no, yeah, you gotta work on what you gotta work on. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The, the dry fire stuff too. Um, I was telling people like when you train sloppily, that's what you're going to resort to in the match, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. If you don't even put on the clothes, then you're not really even getting ready for what's going to look like game day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. And the other thing, uh, your movement is fast and that's because you go hard in the gym. So <laughs> you're crushing everything in life, Kimmy. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. So how has like all of the workouts that you do um, improve the shooting and, and moving? Um, well, I think the first things first is just taking care of your body is going to help you in everything. If you feel good, your confidence goes up. So your mental game's now up. Um, your, your body feels good. So you're not, you know, hurting when you're at the range. Um, Stretching and doing yoga, guys, is huge too, um, and that's something that I could absolutely get better at. I do a little bit of it, but that's just—it's just so important to uh, maintain your body for longevity rather than just trying to get, you know, big and swole or trying to get fast out of nowhere. You know, make sure you're doing it. Um, so, so I have trainers for that, so that I'm doing it the right way, and, and so that I can, you know, sustain these things. Um, so I'm—I'm I'm a big proponent in getting coaches for everything in my life, um, business and, uh, in shooting and fitness, etc. Um, I think some of the stuff that is going to help with movement, um, obviously there's movement coaches out there that you can consult with. So, so don't, you know, take my words with a grain of salt, but, uh, working on explosive movements, uh, you can do at the gym. Um, but one of the things that are hard to do, you know, from just lifting is working on your fast twitch muscles. So uh, you can set up, you know, agility uh, courses, you know, at the park or at your house or something and just work on the speed of your feet. Um, also, one of the things that I worked on recently at the range with uh, Justin, actually, last time we were practicing was when you're moving to a position, leading with your hips um, was 
was interesting because I was watching some of my videos and I'm like, what? You, you feel fast, but sometimes you watch yourself and you're like, I look slow. Yeah. And some of it was just my, my body wasn't following my feet necessarily. Uh, or excuse me, that's what it was doing rather than I was leading, you know, the direction I want to go. So just, just those little simple things. I think uh, videoing yourself is huge so that you can critique yourself and see, okay, could I have had my gun up sooner? Or could I have been starting my reload sooner? You know, all of those little things adds up, especially over a, you know, a 20, uh, 20 stage course or excuse me, a 20 stage match. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hope that helps. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, kind no, of a long-winded answer to that. No, I, that's what I wanted. Entrances, <laughs> exits, and like you said, pivoting or all of that. Yeah, goes. yeah. And if, and if you're not sure where to start, get a coach. There are so many trainers out there, uh, good ones as well. Um, you know, we can definitely we post in the comments later because I don't want to miss that, miss anybody. But there are a lot of trainers and coaches out there that help with both shooting and movement um, that can help you with that or even have them critique one of your videos. Yep. So actually, I know you wear you wear Hunter's HG Gold too. There, this the important thing is you don't want to go to a doctor who's not gun friendly and isn't going to understand that you need to see mm -hmm. the site or the target or all or of both. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and, me. <laughs> yeah, and I remember remember you sharing that too. And like the the same thing with the gym that was like you don't want to go to somebody who's I don't shoot. What do you need to know? Like, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Actually, yeah, exactly. Important. Yeah. Um, yep. so, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, just the big things, yeah, the explosive movements to get out of a position and dumping your energy before in, getting into a position and uh, the, the fast twitch stuff is, is what's going to help with that kind of stuff. Love it. And then you said like just some basic exercise at home, like you said, feet movement, getting your feet moving. Mm -hmm. I said like a little ladder before. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And, then, and like, I am not good at those. <laughs> I get confused sometimes. I'm like, wait. <laughs> No, I do that. I'm just, I, I, I always, this is so funny. I had a, uh, an internet troll one time comment on one of my uh, shooting videos and say, man, this girl runs like a duck. And I started laughing because I was like, oh my God, I really do. So I just played along with it and just kind of ex have accepted that, you know, I have this very wide stance when I run too. So I just got the duck walk, you know. Horrible. <laughs> They're so mean. That's all right. I like it. <laughs> Okay, since we're on this fun subject, um, the, the important question, the one that people want to know, where did your love of llamas come from? Oh my God, that's hilarious. So, hold on, let me, got, got a llama right here, actually. Uh, it came from uh, my family, actually. So my, I forget how it even started, but uh, my daughter found a shirt that said Mama Llama and just kind of caught on. And some of the people at work started calling me that. And uh, I'm not really called mama llama so much anymore but just people now associate me with llamas and I love it like it's, it's actually I have uh paper cranes on the back of my wallpaper here on zoom um I, I make a lot of origami cranes I feel like that's that's another part of me that maybe people don't know but um yeah now people see llamas and I've got my desk is full of llama stuff <laughs> it's taken off have you have you met a llama in real life no, and I want to. <laughs> Apparently, there's a llama farm somewhere up in northern Arizona. You can like drink coffee and hang out with llamas all day. Right up my alley. You got it. <laughs> I found one near where I live in Tennessee, and then I got to finally pet. His name was Alaska. Actually, I don't. You know. sent it to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> he 
he didn't ever like rear up to spit and I was like I've made it y'all <laughs> could have been different different time yeah okay mama llama I'm gonna remember that <laughs> I feel like they're so fun um and like the the heart glasses that Brian made you from Hunter's HG Gold yeah so you know where that came from is there was a stupid Instagram filter I was talking to Brian and Luigi I think uh over Instagram one time we were talking about a match and one of these filters came up and I was like oh wouldn't it be cool to have shooting glasses like that and Brian was like we can do that and I was like what so I sent him yeah some heart frames and they came back with gold lenses and my name on it I mean it was it was super cool and it just kind of caught on and it's funny because I have a couple friends at the range that like to borrow them just to, I mean yeah. a guy in heart glasses is kind of funny you know so I've got those and then he also did uh, my Oakleys as well with the Hunter's Gold glasses in there. Or lenses. Oh, I gotta find it now. <laughs> oh, I'll ask. It's somewhere in here. I have a llama mag pouch, but then I also did like Care Bears and like doggos and they're Oh so my God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, when people borrow your glasses or for, for me, like when they borrow the gear, I'm like, mm -hmm. gotta be fun about it. Totally. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you shot competitions <laughs> with the hearts on. I mean, they still work. I have. Oh, they are awesome. Yeah, they, so those particular frames, they, they do kind of scoot down on your nose a little bit, but I double plugs. So I do, you know, the in the ear uh, and over. So the over kind of helps keep them on my face. <laughs> yeah. It worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. Going back to the real world. Uh, I want to know about IPSC matches because we, I feel like okay. we don't lot of those in the in the country I've never shot one what oh, is and that it's about? too bad no. um so I love Ipsic because I feel like it's almost a blend a little bit of idea well actually yeah even the rules so you can't take site pictures in IDPA Ipsic okay. um USPSA you know you can you can kind of dry fire at the targets but Ipsic IDPA you cannot so there's that in the uh, uh similarities there Ipsic is, it's cool because there's a lot of, there's some short stages that are, you know, maybe eight to 10 rounds. There's long run and gun stages that are, you know, maybe 30 rounds. Um, and it's definitely, and the targets are different too. So you have to be super accurate with those because instead of the rectangular USPSA targets, you've got like, I think they call them turtle shells. Yeah. You know, that's what they look like. Yeah. So it's, it's a much different shaped day zone. Um, it's smaller. So you have to be more accurate. Yeah, so it's different. People that shoot three gun, that's the rifle targets. <laughs> yes, thank you. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I love all of it. You know, people ask me, which one do you like the most? I like them all equally just because they are, they're, they're different and it's all shooting, you know? Yep. Shooting is shooting. Like a good, a bad yeah. day is better than a good day at work or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh man. So, okay. If you had to wrap up shooting, pick one division and one discipline, <laughs> one gun. For the rest of your life, you're stuck with it. Oh, geez, Louise. Uh, I really enjoy shotguns. Uh, you said that because, uh, and the reason I enjoy them is because when I first started shooting three gun, I hated shotgun because it's a big gun. It kicks you around. It's hard to load. You know, it. Uh, there's a lot to it, especially if you need the candy cane load it. Um, so I just kind of embraced it and said, you know, this is going to be my favorite gun to shoot. And eventually it actually became my favorite gun to shoot just because you feel like, I don't know. I mean, rifles are cool, but you feel like a badass with the shotgun. 
especially because it was an extended magazine. It's like just as big as you, and like I don't know, there's just something to it. So I, if yeah, in a perfect world, I would love to learn to master the shotgun. It's so sure. cool. If that world should. Yeah. Like, it would be cool to have you go at the same time that I get to go. Like, that'd be so cool. I need to learn to quad load still. So I'm still an old-fashioned twin loader. But I'm much faster at that than trying to figure out quad. So that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, there are people that can do that faster than people can quad. So. Oh, yeah. Or people that do the, I can't even do it, but, like, the one, they, like, hold them and do them one at a time. But really oh, fast. All style. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that. And there's, there's some people that just rock that. But, yeah, whatever your fastest at is the right way to do it. Yep, exactly. What works for you. And that's important across the board. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Shifting gears. Um, I want to talk entrepreneurship. Um, first of all, uh, would you call yourself an entrepreneur? I do now. Very good. And you yeah, do I think, well, it, it kind of depends. So entrepreneurship, you know, some people, let's say you start a franchise business like you're still your business owner but you didn't necessarily you had a playbook and kind of a game plan to, to plug into on entrepreneurship to me meant like you built it from the ground up it was your idea started with nothing not not that franchise owners didn't start from nothing so I, I definitely don't want to put that out there but um is the difference and that's yeah yeah so before so uh you know I, let's say so I used to own an insurance agency for a uh, captive company, meaning I can only represent their product. I wouldn't have called myself an entrepreneur at that time because I could kind of plug and play, you know, it was, it, it wasn't necessarily a franchise, but very similar, you know, you do things to their rules. Um, and yeah, follow, follow that. <laughs> so when did you change that when you went out on your own? Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, I opened up my first agency with American family actually when I was 24 and then I opened up my independent brokerage in May of 2018. <laughs> and I've been doing it since. <laughs> yeah. How many states are you in so far? I keep seeing the number. Uh, we're licensed in 14 states right now. That's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I would say that for me, I felt, I felt like much more of an entrepreneur because I, I took a big risk and just downsized everything. You know, I got rid of my car, got rid of my house, you know, just literally started from nothing because I knew the expenses that, you know, the, I knew the sacrifices that it was going to take and I didn't want a lot of overhead. Yeah. Yeah. And you did this when you had, I don't know how old your daughter is. Uh, she is 12 now. So yes, she's, she's been around the whole time since I've done both of these businesses. That's really cool. Wow. That's hard to do when you have a kid to like keep alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, yeah, wow. it's, it's, a, it's, it's learning to make it all blend together. You know, we all talk about the work-life balance. There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it just depends on where you're at in the moment and uh, what makes sense. Yeah. Did you have examples of entrepreneurs in your life when you were growing up? Yes. So okay. my dad actually um, was an entrepreneur. He built and sold um, optical engineering firms. My dad worked with lasers. <laughs> Cool. And I got, you know, I got to watch him, you know, put in the long hours and, and make the sacrifices to, uh, you know, give our family a good life. And, and uh, I kind of took that, took that and uh, that's, that's what I do now. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to go that route, honestly. 
because it's hard. You have to have your own health insurance benefits. You have to figure Mm -hmm. out your hours. There are more sacrifices I feel like you make sometimes rather than having, oh, I always have Saturday and Sunday off because that's my job. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Your hours are all over the place. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you are. You are 24-7 and then just, you know, learning to set boundaries for yourself on when you turn it off and and when when to turn it on extra, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, that's a big question. Um, I actually had put that in an email today about, hey, you might email me over the weekend. I'll look at it. If it's not urgent, it's going to stay unread until I get back in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And st- learning that has, yeah. I, I, gosh, I, I'm still struggling with that too and, and learning, you know, when when to turn it off and when to turn it back on, uh, you know, learning to prioritize stuff and when it, what's appropriate in the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you ever turn your cell phone off? So I turned my notifications off. So that's actually one of the, one of the tips that I received from someone a long time ago. And I've been doing it ever since is I turn off my notifications to everything except for phone calls. If it's an emergency, my staff and my friends and family know if you need me, call me. Otherwise you're not getting responded to until I pick up my phone, you know, and, and I could go as far as to time block when I do that. Um, I think I've just gotten in a decent enough habit to not just constantly be on my phone, but um, starting off, I'd say even it sounds silly, but time block when to go through your messages, you know, one, so you don't forget, otherwise you become the person with the hundred unread messages, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, uh, yeah, just, just making sure you make time for that, but yeah, turning your notifications off is huge because then you're not constantly looking at your phone dinging, you know, oh, I got an Instagram message or, oh, I got a Facebook message, you know, no, uh, if someone needs you, they'll call you. Yeah. So same thing when, when you go shooting, I mean, you spent five grand, probably go to nationals, maybe, maybe more, maybe less, you know, and you were going to play on your phone the whole time. You got to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Put that in your bag. <laughs> the only time I, I take out my phone is to get video or to take notes. Um, so like, like this weekend, for example, at New Mexico, um, I royally screwed up the stage and I took notes on what I did and turned them into something more positive. And actually here, I'll, I'll share a few That's just cool. because they were so, they were so important and hopefully they helped somebody else. So I wrote down labeled shoot. I always read stage descriptions. Limited means limited rounds. I always shoot zeros. I'm always consistent. I'm always positive. I only focus on my own shooting and it's like me to shoot zeros fast. So Anyone that's read With Winning in Mind by Lanny Bastion will know that that's kind of in the same format that, that he teaches. And it just, it reinforces the positive stuff instead of you beating yourself up on the stuff that you just royally messed up, you know? <laughs> so that's when I pull out my phone is to really quickly take those notes so that going forward, you know, you that stage is now done. Don't think about it, you know, learn from it and then uh, move on. Yeah. Absolutely. Positive affirmations is huge. And huge in everything. In everything. Yeah. I was going to say that's your self-image. Absolutely. Yeah. What you speak is what it's going to be. We can go into that in the whole. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's a fun one. (laughs) So Kimmy, what's the best part about working for yourself? Oh man. Um, you know, a lot of people would say freedom and I think originally that's what I did it for, but I think now it's for the people. Um, I've always enjoyed being in positions that get to work with people, you know, helping people. Um, but I think the whole, the whole reason I opened this brokerage was to create opportunities um, for people, specifically single parents. 
um, you know, being a single mom myself, I wanted to give opportunities to people that maybe they didn't know were out there. Um, so that's originally why I opened it. And then just being able to help other people with opportunities like that, it's just, it's what it's turned into, and, you know, connecting people and creating partnerships and, um, you know, setting people up for success so that they can continue to grow is probably my, the most favorite thing about this. Yeah. Now, and then you get the shooting community behind your back and your license in 14 states and you already know people in all those states from shooting, right? It helps a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was shopping for my house still. Gosh, I lost another offer, but beside the point, oh, I know. Yeah. I didn't it's, know it's a thing. It's a tough market right now for buyers. Great, great for sellers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those things I learned from my friend actually that's having baby. She's like, well, it's kind of like how you don't announce your pregnancy for three months until you're like almost closing. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah. I didn't know that. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> Fine. The right one will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the hardest part about working for yourself or maybe for you? I'm going to answer the same thing. People. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, one of the themes of the last couple of weeks that me and my business partner have talked about is just everybody's different. You know, you can't just have one formula for the whole entire team, you know, getting to know everybody's why, you know, what, what drives them to hit the goals, uh, to hit their goals, you know, what, why are they doing this? Um, and I think taking the time to slow down and learn that about everybody, uh, makes a huge difference. And uh, one of the other themes recently has just been uh, be, be okay with being vulnerable with your team as well. Um, it helps them trust you and realize that you're a person too. And everyone's kind of getting on the same page around that. So I think to answer your question, it's just that's the best part. And the hardest part is dealing with, you know, personalities and, you know, everybody, everyone has something going on all the time, you know, and being, being empathetic to that and flexible. Uh, help them work around that. I think that's people. <laughs> We're in the business of people. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said. The, um, oh my gosh, I was going to say the culture that you got, like I see your posts on social media. I love your posts. I'm addicted. <laughs> it's probably not good. Awesome. <laughs> but I want you to talk about a little bit about the culture that you, you guys have built to versus the culture yes. corporate levels, you know? Yes. That's my favorite thing. So, um, you know, from my experience, from the corporate world as well, and just uh, teaching culture. Uh, I had a really great mentor teach me that uh, your, his, his exact words was your work life and your home life are not diametrically opposed. In other words, if something's going on at home, it might bleed into work and vice versa. And as a leader, being understanding to that um, is huge. And then opening this business, and then I actually brought on a business partner a couple of years ago, excuse me, last year, beginning of last year, and they have the same culture mentality of we're all just one giant dysfunctional family. And, and I mean, and literally family, like we've got father, son relationships, we've got husband, wife relationship, husband, husband relationships and the teens, you know, so it really is just one giant family. And having that type of culture is huge because, you know, people, people open up to each other, they work well together, everyone trusts each other. And I think that's, that's what makes this machine keep moving is the family aspect of it. And regardless of, you know, how big it gets, you can maintain that as long as you 
begin you know the relationship that way yeah and the the thing about uh, like double star and, and all that too and, and your company you get to see the kids grow up in the business you get to bring them mm-hmm. to work. you get to show them what what does mom and dad do that works so hard what does the single mom do that works so hard why is she doing all those hours right like mm-hmm. you cannot instill better entrepreneurial skills and bringing them around entrepreneurship absolutely yeah my my daughter's grown up in insurance so if she <laughs> if she decides she wants to be a part of the business awesome if she doesn't that's okay too but we'll we'll see yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome and then um the other part of, of entrepreneurship why don't you talk about how rewarding is it when you hit that first sale from a complete stranger oh goodness uh well, on the, yeah, on the production side, it's exciting, especially when you like close your biggest deal ever, you know, and it just keeps getting better each year. Um, for me, it, it's been really cool to watch people on the team have those experiences or those big ahas. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, that they just basically figured out how to get out of their own way and, and, and run with it, you know? So that's, that's super exciting to me. Yeah. Self-sabotage can do so many things. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning that myself too. Boundaries and, and self-sabotage and self-talk, all of that mm-hmm. <laughs> every day. Exactly. Yeah. So you're total adrenaline junkie, would you say? I think so. <laughs> so when did you first hop on a motorcycle? How old were you? I was 18. So I did not grow up with motorcycles at all. Just like, just like guns. This is all, uh, you know, adult stuff. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, Um, I did a senior project on how I was going to get a motorcycle and get my license and, you know, just had it all laid out. And apparently I did such a great job at it. Thank you, mom and dad, that for graduation, I got a motorcycle as a present. (laughs) I had a uh, 2006 Ninja 250. It was blue with flames on it. (laughs) So that's, that's what got me started. They, your parents who normally parents would be like, hell no, said, yeah, let's just buy her one as well. Well, I think it's, it's a little bit of a control thing. And I, I definitely kind of, I asked my mom about this because she bought me a 250 when I really, I wanted a bigger bike. I wanted one that was super fast, you know, go get crazy on it. And she got me a 250, which I'm glad she did. because it was a great starter bike. I didn't kill myself on it. You know, I think that was her way of saying, okay, you can do it, but you're going to start small. Here you go. <laughs> Good. Good job, mom. Yep. Thanks, mom. <laughs> my dad my dad got me a christmas ornament motorcycle as a joke it was so oh, no. <laughs> that dude i mean he's he's had a total bike and he's had a concussion he's been lost i mean that it's not a matter of what if you get in a motorcycle accident it's yeah it's yep comes with the territory unfortunately yeah but you can't be afraid to get back on even though it took time I mean, it took him years as well but mm-hmm. all right so okay 250 did you yes. buy did you trade did you sell what happened next so I ended up getting a 600, oh gosh, maybe a couple years later. And eventually I sold the 250, but I kind of kept it as a backup bike and then realized I don't, I didn't need that. So I did end up getting a, a Suzuki GSX-R 600, rode that for a little while, um, learned my lesson on impulse buying because I bought, I bought it as an impulse and didn't know much about what to look out for. So I kind of bought one that you know, had some issues. Uh, worked through it, got them fixed, and uh, just kind of stuck with the 600 uh, CC motorcycles from then on out, you know, kind of traded through a few of them and ended up with an R6. And that's what got me into, excuse me, no, I did start racing with the Jixxer. Okay. 
So just kidding. I ended up getting the R6 and still racing, but that was my faster, better bike. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Now, how did you probably just like anything else just showed up right to learn? <laughs> I did actually. <laughs> and it was one of those things that, you know, you, you're young and dumb and, you know, don't have fear and you start going fast on the streets and, you know, you, you lose friends to it and you see what could go wrong. And, you know, it, the smart decision was to take it to the track. So I, I did. And I'm glad I did that. Cause uh, once I started doing track days, actually I had a, a woman coach writer's coach come up to me and say, Hey, you're, you're kind of good. You might want to look into racing. And I'm like, what there's races out here. And uh, that's what got me into it. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. You sign up for a race and then you just go race. Like kind of yeah they have you go through a, like a little mini racing school which which is basically just teaching you you know the starts and stops and what the different flags mean and uh, things like that not so much about skill but just more about you know the, the etiquette of racing so you go through that to get a, a race license and uh you go racing and <laughs> then the skill comes <laughs> you say hey mom i want to race motorcycles what's the answer oh god well she she uh She's only seen me race once. And now that I'm a mom myself, I understand why. So it's fine, mom. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sure it's tough to watch. And I'm glad she didn't see me crash. That would have would have killed her for sure. But she did see me run out of gas once on the one race she came to watch. So that was embarrassing. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and did you know it was coming or did you just stop? No. Get or what do you do? Yeah, well, the worst part was... So I, I usually, I do road racing. So it's a, it's a sport bike style motorcycle and, you know, it's, it's in the turns and, you know, that kind of stuff. I decided to enter a supermoto race, which is basically, it's a dirt bike with street tires on it. I had never done it before. I didn't know what I was doing. I jumped on a friend's bike and entered a race and ran out of gas. And those things are so tall. It was on a uh, Honda 450 yeah. and I had to jump off of it because like, you can't put your feet down. So I had to bail. <laughs> it was super embarrassing. <laughs> It happens though. Yeah. And then I, yeah. And I've never ridden dirt up until this year. I went out, um, with my boyfriend before he was my boyfriend and I don't know if you can see it. Oh, kind of. There's, there's a big old scar on my shoulder. Oh. I fell down in the dirt. I don't know how to ride dirt bikes, but I, I guess my dumbass thought, Oh, I've ride motorcycles. I can do this. I jumped on and just fell over like a cow. So <laughs> yeah. You know, the tail of the dragons up in Tennessee. I've heard I want to go so bad. Sturgis <laughs> as well or any of that? Never. No, I've never done any of that. It's all track riding, really. So I'll have to come check all that out. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's, that's yeah. too much Sturgis on my birthday without me. Great. Um, can you see this pattern? I love you, dad. He's my favorite. <laughs> but um, I got to ride on his his bike and learn on that, which was really cool. So when you, you awesome. Harley Davidson, I don't know if people know this, like they want you to come to the track at their place and go practice your bike there, right? Because it's better than, like you said, out on the streets. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Is that community similar to 3N or USBSA or is that totally different? Um, yes and no. Uh, there's, there's similarities. And it, my, one of the fascinating things to me is learning what people do for a living or like what their life is like outside of shooting or outside of motorcycles, um, you know, and, and learning about, you know, how do they fund it? How do they, or, you know, if, if they have a hard time funding it, how do they get around that? So that, that kind of stuff really fascinates me. Um, but the, the racing community, at least from my experience is 
extremely friendly. And same thing, they're all very, very willing to help you. You know, obviously on the track, everyone's super competitive, but off the track, like, you know, you guys are hanging out in the pits and, you know, grilling chicken together and talking about, oh yeah, you know, I almost elbow bumped you or, you know, whatever, but it's, it's, it's just super cool. Yeah, I, 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 I love the racing community for sure. So awesome. One day I'll do that. One day. It's on my list. Come on out. <laughs> I was going to buy a bike and I bought a 2011. So, but that's okay too. <laughs> and I'm the one that sold a bike to get uh, a gun. So. Yeah. Uh, give and take. Uh, okay. Yeah. So what is, what are some other total adrenaline dump activities that you've done that you haven't told us? Oh, uh, see, I mean, I, I did martial arts quite a bit as a kid. Oh, cool. Um, everything from, you know, Taekwondo, karate, capoeira, um, see what else? Have you like skydived or bungee jumped? So no, so yeah, I am afraid of heights. I will go really fast this way. I'm scared to go fast that way. Am I totally against it? No, I, I'm kind of slowly getting talked into it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I love racing, whether it's cars, motorcycles, guns, I like to go fast. Sounds like it. So boat? Boat soon? <laughs> uh, no. So another fun fact is I'm also afraid of water. <laughs> I drowned twice as a kid. I know how to swim. My mom made sure I learned how to swim, but water on my face is not for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll get over it one day. Surfing like looks cool as hell. Uh, I would love to learn to surf, but definitely still take some, uh, uh, convincing Un uncomfortability for sure on my end <laughs> surfing I grew up surfing so I had a whole different life than shooting actually um before I let got landlocked in college but I actually did get a concussion on surfboard oh, so. oh geez it happens that's no good no good mm -mm. <laughs> all right we'll have to get some tips from you then when I'm ready <laughs> a lot of fun I still have my boards I miss it I do I'll go back oh, yeah. you know I say that yeah but neither neither of us lived near a beach so Maybe wake surf, like behind the boat. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll start with that. <laughs> so, okay. I also, people need to go listen to this. I've listened to your Elena Cardone podcast because she's a total badass. And so are you. She is so cool. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So she's been shooting and I know Joe Farrell's taught her and Todd's had her on the mm -hmm. range. I love that. Um, so I don't want to rehash all of that that you talked about, but, and this just changed, but you're one of those females out there, you know, who it, I can relate to owns her own business, shoots, knows how to ride a bike. You spend time hiking. I see all that. I don't do as much workouts, but you love a rush. <laughs> um, so I guess, I mean, you just told us that, or told me privately that you're not single anymore, but what do you wish, or maybe what did you see in him that like that he got or understood about you and your life and your hobbies and why it's important to you? Well, I think the cool part about it was that he cared to learn about me and my hobbies. And what's interesting, because we share a lot of the same interests. You know, so we're both into motorcycles. We're both adrenaline junkies. Um, he's much more into dirt bikes than I am, but I'm much more into shooting than he is. So we have our own things that we do. But it's cool because both of us are open to learning about the different hobbies and stuff. But I think the 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 biggest thing was... Uh, being accepting of who someone is and leaving room for them to be themselves, you know, I think is the big thing. Um, <laughs> I like talking about this. This is me being vulnerable here on, on this Zoom call with you. I think so the big thing is, yeah, accepting someone for who they am and for who they are, excuse me. And, um, you know, 
things are not going to be perfect and communication is huge um especially in the beginning when you're still learning about each other mm -hmm. um you know we're, we're both going to say dumb things we're both going to mess up and being patient enough and uh giving enough mercy and grace you know that that that's going to happen <laughs> so yeah yeah and like, I feel like respecting your lifestyle a little bit on travel and hours that you mm -hmm. work. I mean, that there's a lot. Exactly. Well, I, and, and what's interesting is, so that's something that we're both working on is, is the whole, that boundaries thing, you know, and, and, and being true to yourself allows you to be true to that person. And I think that's, what's really cool about what we've got is we're both working on ourselves, but we're both patient enough to be able to do that while being with each other. So that's, that's been super cool. I love it. So you want, you almost want someone to grow with you too. That that's the hardest part. And that's, that's what's super cool too. And, and I think one of the things that me and Elena talked about, which makes it tough for people in relationships is, uh, you know, if somebody does own a business, you know, that, that can create a lot of, uh, you know, time commitments and things like that. Well, the coolest part about that is he happens to be in a very similar industry as me um in fact we actually kind of work together um not not on the same team but similar so uh yeah he's uh all right here you go you guys ready for this he's my business partner's son <laughs> yeah no but it's but it's cool you know so we're in similar industries so we both understand that you know we're we we get down to business get that done and then you know for for us to go do the fun stuff and have adventures yeah, work hard, play hard. Exactly. Wow. That's absolutely it. Yeah. And and creating and having the the strength to say, you know, here's here's my me time so that I can work on me. Cause if I'm not feeling hundred percent and I'm not giving you the best that I can be, that doesn't make me feel good, you know, and vice versa. So it's cool that we both agree with that and um, you know, uh, allows us to be the best we can be for ourselves and for each other and that it leads into everything else in your life. So it's it's been it's been a really cool journey and it's, it's very, it's very new to me. You know, it, it, I could talk about this, this subject forever. Cause it's, it's fun. You know, I'm, I'm 33 years old and, and I'm still learning, you know, what, what relationships should look like or, you know, what I like and, and, you know, it, it's been quite the experience for sure <laughs> in a good way, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then I feel like there's so few people that, that are, I guess, female driven, you're shooting outdoors. That was my other question, actually. If there's someone listening, this is what you're talking to me, basically, but if there's, <laughs> you know, and you're, you're putting yourself out there, how do you approach the, the shooting topic of things? Or do you mention that at the first, like, I don't know, like you've got all this cool stuff, but is that intimidating to somebody? Um, I'm sure it can be, but I think that's what makes this work is, is finding a partner that's confident in themselves as well. So they don't project any of that onto you um and, and vice versa of course um I bring it up because it's part of me um it's I'm also I'm pretty public on social media so you can look me up and you know see my interests and what I you know what I do for a living what I do for fun so he already knew that and I think that was part of why we we started talking in the first place was just the the different adrenaline rushes that we're all into and um I think that's that's what sparked it <laughs> So oh, cool. This is really just waiting on that one that accepts that, I think. Absolutely. And well, it's all of you, the, the good and the bad parts, you know, that the stuff, because that's the other thing, you know, that I was trying to 
get at is you're constantly growing, you know, and, and, and people change too. So leaving room for, for that, you know, and, and accepting the, the person for who they are and what they're becoming. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like you're, you're an alpha female. I would say a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he listens to this. Maybe he's not, he doesn't. Would you describe him as like another alpha male or? Like... Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, he, yeah, he, is a, he likes racing, whether it's motorcycles or cars. Um, he just got into uh, uh, jujitsu and like MMA fighting. So with a background in wrestling, so I would say absolutely. He's definitely an alpha uh, type A salesperson, um, you know, the more dominant type for sure. Cool. So <laughs> it can work out. There can be two alphas. <laughs> there can be. Yes. And it, again, just comes back to communicating, you know, because it's, there might be a day where I want to go do something and he wants to go do something else and communicating and figuring out, you know, how, how do you have a win-win, you know, yeah. there's definitely been, been times that that happens. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, Kim. Congrats. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Life is good. Life is good. <laughs> well, is there any other final thoughts on any subject that we've talked about today that you want to leave listeners with? Um, I think, just because it's been such a big theme for me for the last probably month or so is being true to yourself, you know, being authentic and, and the word vulnerability has been a huge theme, especially the last couple of weeks. Um, it's, I mean, this can relate to everything in sports, being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be a beginner, you know, I think it's huge. Um, even if it's something that you've done for a long time, just going back to the fundamentals and allowing yourself to get better at those things. Mm-hmm. And, and not putting an emotional uh, attachment to it, you know, uh, is huge. Not so you don't beat yourself up um, when it comes to relationships. Like you can't, how can you, you know, truly love somebody if you don't show them your, your true self, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think that's, yeah, that, that's just been a theme, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I figured I'd share that. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. And how do you balance all of this? Like you said, I don't. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. There's really no balance to it. It's just kind of what's appropriate in the moment. You know, there's, there's some days that my daughter needs me and I need to, you know, spend more time with her that day, or, you know, maybe the the business needs something that day. So I am all business, you know, it just, it depends on what everything needs at that time and being flexible enough to adapt to that. Yep. 100% agree. I'm like, there's no balance. It's really (laughs) managing what's going on because you can't prepare for some of it, you know? No, you can't <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, are there any, I know Palmer Andy's big one, but go ahead and say some more if you want uh, any shout outs to sponsors that support you out there. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Polymer 80, just the, the people there are amazing and you guys are super supportive. So thank you. Um, Jerry D'Amico with uh, match grade brass. He's always hooked me up with brass, especially before big matches. Um, he will actually physically personally meet me and and bring it to me so it's super amazing um sns bullets are amazing they're super supportive and easy to get a hold of um justin burke with uh zero down triggers he's he does more than just triggers he helps me out a lot at local matches too especially especially with like the ammo situation him and and uh clarence at the range they both help me out a lot and are there when you know we need practice we're all kind of a little mini team in itself um, I know I'm, oh, I'm missing a lot. Here we go. Techware, you guys are awesome. Also super supportive. Uh, I'm 
I don't want to miss anybody and I feel so bad if I do. Right. Think about your is shirt. It is it that's what I'm thinking of is my jersey. Who's on my jersey? <laughs> Myself, I put my own logo on the jersey, but um I just, yeah, same just, thing. <laughs> I mean, hey, you gotta rep your business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you make a deal there, that's a business write-off. People don't Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just I mean, you know, and I apologize for not being able to give everybody a shout out, but just anyone that's helped me, you know, in in the shooting community and the racing community and business. Just, I love all you guys. And I just, I'm super grateful and super blessed to just be surrounded by so many amazing people in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Kimmy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you. So much fun. Um, for social media too, uh, do you want to give out your Instagram handle and all that people have questions or want to reach out to you? Yeah, I, I'm pretty lucky. I don't know anyone else, my same name. So you can look up Kimmy Donahue. Um, you can find me on all, this, all the socials. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I believe my Instagram handle is just Kimmy Donahue, K-I-M-I. Um, and my business website is everythinginsure.com. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we met. And like for people listening, the shooting community can make a huge impact. And even when we don't see each other for years, still keep in touch. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Each other's success and everything, which is really cool. Well, thank you so much for listening, y'all. Reach out to me if you have any questions and stay tuned for the next episode. Yeah, thanks for letting me talk about myself for the last two hours. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure people want to. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.